Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yes, a couple texters listening to that Biden clip during the newscast. You can't make this stuff up. Uncle Joe is bragging that gas prices are down. What? He's actually proud of that. That that's right. What what were gas prices when the Biden administration took over? And and yes, they're they're down in Wisconsin from five dollars and twenty cents a gallon to what three fifty, three sixty, three seventy. But I, I'm not going to boast about gasoline prices at three sixty or three dollars and seventy cents. But that's the alternative world that we live in. A lot of stuff coming up on today's program, and we've been dealing with lots and lots of heavy topics over the course of the week. And so as we typically do. On the Friday program, we stretch a little bit, and the show is going to get a little bit lighter as we go on. And of course, the two thirty hour pop culture corner presented by Pap- by Palermo's Pizza once again. And I understand also that this is a Friday. A lot of people are off already, getting a head start on their Labor Day weekend. So that's one of the reasons why we try to lighten it up a little bit as people are out and about trying to enjoy the last vestiges of summer. Now, September can be kind of nice, but let's face it, the Labor Day weekend is sort of the unofficial start to summer. And I know I've been noticing this week as we've gone out and about to different places, you know, now that school has started for many, many, if not all kids, uh, lots of places they're they're struggling because all the kids have gone back to school and that means that they're they're not coming in to work at their summer jobs anymore. So we, we've got all that stuff that, that's going on. But let us get started. The as I said earlier, the final Jeopardy answer is July fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine. July 15th, 1979. Now, you don't have to call in and, and guess or anything like that, because I'll, I'll give you the answer, because I acknowledge it might be a little bit obscure. But if you follow me on, on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I've got a link to this. It has taken 43 years, a little bit, actually a little bit over 43 years, July 15th, 1979. But in my opinion, a president of the United States has now delivered a worse speech than Jimmy Carter's infamous malaise speech. Now, I understand that there are a lot of you who maybe weren't around in in 1979, but but here, here is the deal. 1979, in Jimmy Carter's term, the United States was facing high inflation. Sound familiar? An energy crisis with spiraling gas prices. Sound familiar? and high government spending, which had in many respects contributed to the high inflation. Sound familiar? So Carter gave this speech, and it was, even though he never used the word malaise, that, that's what it became, we became famous for, where he essentially talked about the problems, and instead of accepting responsibility and offering solutions, he essentially blamed us blamed Americans for a crisis in confidence. You know, so it's it's our fault 
that we're unhappy with spiraling food prices. It's our fault that we're unhappy with spiraling gas prices. It's our fault that high government spending is creating these crushing tax burdens. It was the Malays' speech. And it, it essentially, I mean, Jimmy Carter was a failed president who, unlike Harry Truman that, you know, maybe decades later was looked at and people say, okay, well, maybe Truman wasn't as bad as he was thought at at the time. Well, Jimmy Carter has gotten no such review of that. The Carter administration, that four years, was just a disaster for this country, and Jimmy Carter was a one-term president. But the Malay's speech was kind of the, the low point where it's not my fault that the buck, unlike Harry Truman, where he'd say the buck stops here, it was essentially the buck stops with you. You you, you Americans, you're, you're the problem, don't you know? I could not help, as I watched the speech, I did not watch it live, but I did, when I saw the reviews coming in from Biden's speech last night, I knew I had to take 20 minutes of my life, or 24 minutes actually, and I had to sit down and I watched it. So I, I did, in fact... Watch the Biden speech. And I guess I was struck by a number of things. First of all, the the backdrop with that that red backdrop was just flat out creepy. I mean, a lot of people are describing it as the emergence of dark Brandon. And I mean, it was just it was flat out creepy. It was kind of like the the horror movie from you know where the fact that he was using Marine guards as a prop in the background for this overtly political speech, I think was highly inappropriate. And I I mean, if for anybody who criticized what Trump did when he was on the 4th of July at Mount Rushmore a couple years ago, this was equally as bad, if, if not worse. But I guess, to me, the whole speech by Biden, under the guise of a presidential address, it was reminiscent not just of the Malays speech, but also of Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables. You know, the, those Republicans are a basket of deplorables that ended up, I think, not working out very well for her. For Biden, it was Trump and the MAGA Republicans, Trump and the MAGA Republicans. So that that 50 percent almost of the people who did not vote for him a couple years ago, the implication was you are the problem. All those people in 2016 who were the election deniers who didn't believe that Donald Trump won and the election was stolen. Well, that's okay. But now, now the people who, you know, didn't accept that their election was legitimate in 2020, you, you in fact are the problem. I understand that for some people this might have been red meat for that, that specific audience that Biden is trying to rile up. But rather than talking about I don't know the issues that I think most of us are affected by, again, the economy and inflation and things like that. We, we had this rant about, you know, Trump. We had the rant about the people who still support Trump. I thought it was weird. I thought the setting was sort of scary. Uh, again, you know, you had the and there's all these memes out there. You know, linking this to, I mean, things that you might have seen, you know, decades and decades ago in totalitarian regimes in, in Germany. I don't want to go that far, but it was clearly, I don't think this was Biden at his best. And especially from somebody who two years ago gave speeches about how he wanted to bring the country together. Remember that, that was it. This was going to be Biden the uniter. 
There was nothing about yesterday's speech that had anything to do with uniting this country. This was a presidential political speech under the guise of trying to fire people up so they would vote for his party in the upcoming midterms. And candidly, like I say, I stand by this. I think it was the worst speech since Jimmy Carter, 43 years ago. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to what you saw or heard last night. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The gunslinger is back where he belongs. Catch Brett Favre with Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Monday mornings at 7.30 on 94.5 ESPN. And again at 5.15 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Presented by Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin and sponsored by Concordia University of Wisconsin and Island Resort and Casino. I think it was the worst speech I'd heard from a president in, in 40 plus years. It goes back to the Jimmy Carter malaise thing. Unlike... Harry Truman, like I said earlier, and the buck stops here. Joe Biden said, oh, it, it's I haven't done anything wrong. This is all great. Don't you realize the problem we have is is all those Republicans that, that are out there that, you know, are, are doing all these things and they're anti this and they're anti that. And if everybody would just let me have my way, the world would be perfect. Jeff, we've discussed this before. Didn't necessarily like Trump, but I appreciate his policies. Joe Biden abruptly on his first day in office negated almost every one of them and caused a spiral down in this country in every aspect. The president has no choice but to try to rule by fear or blame. He hasn't done much good to fall back on. Well, I think that there is an element to that. Um, No question about it. Um, Jeff, I didn't even want to listen to that stuff. I watched the rerun of the 1997 Super Bowl with the Packers um, and the Patriots. Um, 855-616. Jeff, do you know how the backdrop lighting gets chosen? It was disastrous. Even if the speech had been had been good, who can get past the gates of hell behind him? Yeah, that was kind of the reference that was there. And, and it, it wasn't all that red. Apparently, there was also blue lighting as well, but... They you you didn't see it whenever the camera focused on Biden. All you saw was that that red look. And it was like you you had Satan standing in front of the gates of of whatever, you know, and who was just preaching about how these people are evil and these people are awful. Not the uniter that we thought that you would get from um, Joe Biden. Jeff, Biden said what needed to be said. Was it a perfect speech? Well, no, but somebody must speak out against the MAGAs. Okay, well, that's what what does that mean exactly? So if you're somebody that, that voted for Donald Trump, that uh, 48% of the electorate or whatever, you're you're now the, those evil people. You're you're the MAGAs. That's the term. And and obviously this is the strategy that I think Joe Biden and his handlers have come up with. The idea that look, we can't talk about the economy. We can't be like Bill Clinton and talk about it's the economy stupid. So what we have to do is we have to use this divisive sort of rhetoric here and we have to say okay, we're got to demonize because if we have to justify, well, high gas prices and high food prices and the disaster that is going on at the border and the disaster that was the pullout in Afghanistan and all this other stuff, well, we're, we're going to be in trouble. So it's it's the MAGAs there. Jeff, the speech you heard from Biden was nothing but pure socialism. Um, um, yeah, I, I think... 
there's something to be said about that. I just think, you know, one of the interesting things is that, and I think it's a positive thing, that none of the networks covered this. Originally, the Biden administration had requested airtime from all the networks. And normally, when a president does that, they want to talk about issues of of policy. You know, you, you want to explain I don't know. I'm going to have a press conference to explain why I'm going to take $300 billion and and give people student loan relief that other people are going to have to pay for. I'm going to have a press conference to explain why we're bugging out of Afghanistan and, and leaving all of the, our allies behind. I'm going to have a press conference and explain why it's not my fault, and these are my policies to try to address inflation, to this was a pure political speech, and there's, I don't think anybody can, can argue that. And if Biden wants to give it, that's fine. I, I understand it. But the idea that you would have networks that would give him free airtime to launch off on this, I, I think, was troubling. And to their credit, mark the tape on this, NBC, ABC, CBS, they all made the decision they weren't going to carry this because they recognized it for what it was, which was, again, a political speech. CNN and, of course, MSNBC chose to carry it, and that's fine. They, they have the right to do it. But let's let's understand <clears throat> what this was. 855-616-1620. And I'm hearing from some people, so oh, I hate Trump. Oh, okay. Um you know that's that's that that's fine. I I understand that that people hate Trump. I I get it. I, I that's fine, but Biden isn't running against Trump. Biden, let's understand what's going on here. Biden recognizes that if he has to run on his record, he's in a lot of trouble. So what we're doing now is we're trying to, you know, we're going to fight the battle of the past. We're going to demonize Donald Trump and we're going to demonize that huge percentage of the electorate who, by and large, voted for him. You are evil. You are the bad guys. You are the problem. Just like Jimmy Carter blamed all of us for the problems for essentially for his failures back in 1979. Audrey and Gurney. Audrey, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. I actually had to pull over in my vehicle because I was so upset. Um, I just I feel totally opposite of what you do. I thought Biden gave a pretty gave a pretty rousing speech. Uh, He pointed out in the beginning that what is going on in this country is not normal. And how can you say that it's normal for the Republican Party to follow someone like Trump? Uh, which is happening, and that's not normal for this country to be intimidated by a politician like Trump and to make their Trump's gone. Trump's Trump's gone. Trump's been him. out of office for two years. Trump's been gone. Trump. Trump. Exactly. I, I understand. So, so I guess it, my question is, why is Biden exactly, obsessed with him? The, because the republic, the MAGA Republicans are still letting him influence their decisions. Well, well, okay, the MAGA Republicans. I mean, who are the MAGA Republicans? Who is that? Well, I hear talk in Arizona. I hear talk in all countries about, in Wisconsin, too, about people who don't believe the results of the past election. Okay. Who still want to, uh, you know, who still, who still believe Trump legitimately won, who don't think... Well, there are, legitimately well, Audrey, there are Democrats who still believe that, that Trump didn't legitimately win in 2016 and that Hillary Clinton was the real winner. Well, I have not heard that. No. Okay, well, I, I have th- not heard that. Well, 
I mean, okay. Look, I, 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 I appreciate. Just, I just think. Go ahead. Okay, let me just finish. The first, the first half of his uh, speech, yes, was pointing out MAGA Republicans are, in my mind, kind of dangerous to this co- country. The second half was bringing the country together to form. To, to to get rid of to stand democracy. up to stand up to those yes and and thanks yes I, I mean it was very clear that the talking points were every time he mentions the word democracy we want people to to clap our our hands regardless of what the context is um, you know you know what. I think it was just look. It was a political speech, and I understand it is red meat to the people who um, just just hate all you MAGA Republicans out there. I still don't know what a MAGA Republican is. I mean, I I, just, I don't know. Does that mean it's somebody that supported Donald Trump? Does it mean that it's somebody that thinks that a lot of the policies that Trump had over the four years were were good? Does it is it people who would support Trump being reelected? I don't know what MAGA Republicans are, but it doesn't matter because Joe Biden doesn't know what MAGA Republicans are. It's it's just one of these. That's his phrase for Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables. That's what he is referring to. And that's the way that Joe Biden and a lot of people view people who disagree with their view. And they're looking to demonize people. Why? They're looking to demonize people because they want to divert Things from gas prices and empty shelves and high inflation and all that. And I think to that extent, I understand if you're one of those people that believe that this was what you wanted to hear last night. Now, you can argue whether it was appropriate for a presidential address and things like that. And I would argue probably not. This is more like the kind of thing that you'd expect to hear when Joe Biden comes to speak to the Labor Fest folks in in on Monday, you know, in, in Milwaukee. And that's all fine. It was a partisan political speech, but it shows where we are right now, where you have the president of the United States who has decided, I'm not going to confront the issues that are facing this. I'm going to try to demonize the other side. And and yeah, if you want to tell me, well, Trump did that from time to time and the, the Hillary Clinton locker up stuff that I was never comfortable with and wished he would have stopped doing. Well, this is the flip side of that. But this is what politics has become. And I understand why Biden's not talking about inflation. I understand why Biden's not talking about the problems at the border, because they've got no answer to them. But did I think yesterday was a rousing speech? Well, it was a partisan speech. But from the perspective of presidential addresses, I stand by what I said. I think it's the worst one in 43 years. Oh, by the way, for those keeping score at home, the stock market, which has just hemorrhaged Individual investor wealth since about April of 2021, down again today, big time right now. The Dow Jones down over 200, the NASDAQ down over 125. Um, Joe Biden wasn't talking about that yesterday. He was going after you mega Republicans who are threats to democracy. All right, we'll see how that works out. Football fans. Cover 5 is back for the kickoff of the football season. Sign up for Cover 5. It, this is fun. I do this 
every year. It's a free-to-play sports game for season-long fun. Join Cover 5 for free at Cover5.com or on the free Cover 5 app for your chance to win $100 per week. Pick five games each week, and the best score against the spread throughout the regular season wins a $400 Ticket King gift card. You can join the WTMJ contest on the Cover 5 app and Cover5.com for free. You pick five pro football games against the spread each week all season long. Cover 5, beat the spread, and score more points. And again, I'm as... I'm in this contest, so you can score more points than me because I've been having a tough time with Cover 5 the last couple years. Here's what you do. Use the code WTMJ22 to join. Visit WTMJ.com for contest rules, and it's a little bit it's a little bit tricky, but what you do is you go to our website, WTMJ.com. You click on contests. You'll see various things that will pop up. You click on the Cover 5 one. It's going to ask you for a code. You put in WTMJ22, and then you just kind of go from there, and we'll see how people do during the football season, which is coming up. All right. Now, it seems like California, and we've, we've, been, we've been mocking California over the last, well, couple of years, actually, for all these different ludicrous ideas. But that's not stopping California. California continues to go in with more and more of these ludicrous ideas, and people are leaving California. You know, the, the what I, I loved, a week ago they announced that no elect, no cars other than fully electric cars will allow to be allowed to be sold in California after 2035. And in the run up to that, they're going to limit the number of cars. So, okay, that, that's it. We're going to get rid of these gasoline powered cars that are destroying the planet, et cetera, et cetera. And we're hoping that what we do in California is going to set the trend for the, the rest of, of the country. All right. So then what do they do? A couple days later, they announced that for everybody who owns electric cars now, they don't want you to recharge them over the weekend because it's hot and the power grid can't handle it. Okay, I mean, it's just the irony is just so rich, and it would be funny if it wasn't just so serious that now you've only got a small percentage of people who own electric vehicles, and they're already telling them, don't charge them. Can you imagine what it would be like if, Half of the people in California or two thirds of the people in California were driving electric vehicles and, and you didn't, and you had this power grid where they're telling you not to charge the stuff to, to force people into electric vehicles by government fiat without dealing with all these other things like how are you going to deal with battery life and where are we going to get the lithium to make batteries and how are you going to arrange to get these things recharged and how can you get them recharged in a quick fashion and perhaps most importantly what is the power grid going to be like? I mean, I understand that some of us just think you flick that switch and the electricity is there, but that electricity has to be generated from somewhere. And explain to me how that is going to happen when you are putting more and more risks on the on the on the grid. I was reading a story this morning that said, well, you know, they're they're hoping that there'll be more wind and solar power over the course of the next ten years. As I frequently say, hope is not a plan. I mean, let let let's face it, the the wind doesn't blow hard enough in California and even though sometimes it's sunny it doesn't come out there's not enough sun to charge all the people that are going to be driving in cars so it's just one of these sort of environmentally feel-good sort of things well we're doing this because we care it's going to be an absolute and total disaster moving forward and you can see it so here's the latest plan and I ask you what you think of this and whether or not we should consider 
Californication win of Wisconsin. All right. Here is what they have just done this week. The California legislature has approved a $1,000 refundable tax credit. But you don't, the way it works is you're not going to have to pay taxes to get this. So it's a thousand bucks that they will give to all Californians who do not own vehicles. You're going to get a thousand dollars for not owning a vehicle. Now there is a limit on it. Right now it's limited to single earning file, filers up to $40,000 and joint filers making up to 60000 But the plan Ultimately, is they want to expand this a $2,500 tax credit to everyone, regardless of income, without a car. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the thinking is, here's what we want to do. If people aren't driving cars, we want to give them a 1000 bucks. Or, again, the ultimate proposal is $2,500. If you don't have a car, we're going to give you 2500 bucks, presumably as an incentive to not have a car. Is that going to work? 855-616-1620. And should we do something like that, for example, in Wisconsin? Say, hey, you don't own a car. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to reward you for not owning the car. What could possibly go wrong? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time to get your home prepped for winter, and it's time for Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. Join me every week as we showcase the various ways you can ready yourself and your home for Wisconsin's infamously cold seasons. It's Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Dan. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, uh, I'm just wondering, my wife doesn't own a car, but she drives an awful lot because the car's in my name. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And I own two. So she'll get a $2,500 uh, tax credit? Well, that would kind of be the, the idea. Well, th- that would kind of be the idea be- behind this. I guess here, here's my other point, Dan. Do you th- okay, for the people who don't own cars right now, do you think $1,000 or $2,500 would be an incentive for them to not own the car? In, in other words, if, if they don't own a car now, there, there's probably a lot of reasons for it. Maybe they can't afford a car. Maybe they don't need a car or whatever. But if you just give somebody $1,000, is that going to make them give up their car? And my answer would be, of course not. That's This is just nothing that's, but a giveaway. Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm, right. No, thank you. Absolutely I, not. And we can't sustain, we can't sustain the tax credits and the, what they're doing already. And now they want to try to do this and give more money away? Well, California is already broke. Yeah, exactly. No, thank, see that, that that's see nobody thinks about this this logically. All right, so you, you've got a population that does not own automobiles. Now, I, I would argue that there again there, there's two main reasons for that. One, you decided you don't need an automobile, or secondly, you decided you, you, you're in a position where you can't afford an automobile. Uh, th- those are the two. Those are the two reasons behind that. So this giveaway, this is just, I mean, I guess it's its a reward to people who aren't going to be driving cars anyways. Do you seriously think that there is a, I mean, just, just ask yourself, think about your car, all right? Would you give up your car 
for for a thousand bucks? And the answer is, of course, you're not good. Oh, I can get a thousand bucks. I'm going to give up my car and I'm going to start riding the bus. Of course not. Are twenty five hundred dollars? Hey, I'm going to give up twenty five hundred dollars and I'm going to start okay riding my bicycle for twenty five hundred. If if you went that, of course not. You're just going to be giving money by and large. Now maybe there's the unicorn out there. Maybe there's that one person who says, okay, now I'm going to give up my car. But but that's not how this is going to work out in in the real world it's only going to be a handout to people who aren't going to otherwise have cars you know one of i've been saying this for years and years and, and some mass transit people don't don't like to hear it but again it, it is the reality there are people and look i appreciate the necessity of for example trying to arrange mass transit to hook up people with jobs so for example if you have Somebody who lives in the inner city of Milwaukee, and there's job opportunities that are out in western Waukesha County, okay? And you want to figure out a way to hook up that person in the inner city of Milwaukee to the, the job in, in western Waukesha County. Well, the, one of the first questions is, how are they going to get there? And if you've got somebody in the inner city of Milwaukee that doesn't own a car, yeah, you got you have to work that out. So, okay, you work out the mass transit, they get the job, they start working what is the first thing the person does after they amass a little bit of money? They buy a car because they want the car. They want to be able to drive around. It's not just to drive the car to work. They want to drive the car because they want the flexibility of being able to go out where they want. They want the flexibility and the freedom that cars give. And, and so, you know, you, that's the problem. You arrange this. Okay, we're, we're, we've got these needs. We want to hook up people. We want to allow them to get back and forth from the jobs. But it, it doesn't stop them from buying cars because, by and large, as soon as they get the money, they're buying a car because we like our cars. We want our cars. And this this idea in California that we're going to make a it's going to make some sort of difference. All you're doing is giving money to people who, by and large, aren't going to drive and have no intentions to drive. Period. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Paul, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. I have to give it. I have to give um, you know a heads up for those Brazilian people in California. I don't think they've done enough to you know stamp down the carbon footprint. I mean, they should be giving maybe twenty five dollars for people that don't own the lawnmower, or maybe a hundred dollars for people that don't own a boat, or how about ten thousand dollars for people that don't own their own private planes like those big Hollywood celebrities. Great, Paul, Paul you, then, you, I was thinking the same. I made that note. Do I get my big, where is my payment if I make the decision that I'm not going to own a private airplane or I'm not going to fly? <laughs> yeah, where, where is that? My, hey, if you agree that you're not going to fly commercial, you're not going to fly on an airplane for a year, we're going to give you five grand. Where, where is that handout for me? Or, Jeff, without a car, how are you going to really see, like, Yosemite? How are you going to go to Napa and Sonoma and these other places yeah. without your car? Again, it makes sense to me, yeah. doesn't it? Well, right, right exactly. I think, or, or what you're going to I mean, think, or what you're going to do is you're going to rent cars. I mean, that, look, when 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 you need them, or you're going to use Uber or, or wherever it is. This idea that you're going to get people to stop driving by giving them these this type of money is just. I mean, it's just absurd, but it's one of these things. Oh, that sounds good. This is going to be incentive to get people out of their cars. No, it's and and the people that take it 
All right, like I say, they're in that two category. They can't afford the car or they don't need one. They're, I mean, there's people who don't need cars. I have a, I know some people who live in New York City and have for years and years and years, and they don't own cars. They don't own cars not because they can't afford it, because, but because it's a hassle to own a car in New York City. And you've got to pay a lot of money to park, and the insurance is just a nightmare. And, and because of mass transit in a place like New York City, it's really easy to get around, so they get used to taking the cabs or the Ubers or the subway, or whatever. But interestingly, when they go on vacations or they go to places on the weekend, what do they do? They rent a car. So they're they're still driving the cars. Here's a text. I love this one. Jeff, the Kia boys are going to love this idea. They don't own any cars. They just steal them. Right? That that is... Sometimes... Those of you who text this program are just brilliant. That That's exactly right. Well, of course, hey, give me my give me my $1,000 credit. And, and actually, you don't even have to file taxes. You don't have to have any tax liability to, to, to get the money. Hey, man, give me my money. I don't own I don't own a car. Well, yes, I just whenever I want one, I go out and. You know, go through the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, and I steal however many cars I want. But I don't own any cars. I've got nothing in my name. Just give it to me. You're exactly right. You know, the the Crips and the Bloods and the Kia boys, they're going to absolutely love this. This is going to be your tax dollars at work. All right. I, I, I say this. There's a John Hyatt song. John Hyatt's coming to Milwaukee in October. There's a John Hyatt song that just completely and totally encapsulates how I feel about almost everything going on in California right now. Here's the first verse. California. One of our texters says, hey, what about the people who are going to use the $2,500 to buy a car? Yep. <laughs> hey, this is it. I've been saving up for a car. Don't have a car. Um, what I need, this $2,500 that I'm going to get for not owning the car, I'm going to put that on the down payment. Oh, but we're saving the planet. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't California, my Wisconsin, say adios to California. Hey, just a quick note, as long as we're talking about cars, um, if, if you if you have a Buick, remember what was the old phrase, do you have a Buick in your future? Wasn't that it? A lot's going to be changing. Breaking news story, General Motors is offering um, Buick dealers across the country, they are offering to buy out their franchises. What's happening is apparently um, Buick's are in line with General Motors to go completely electric 
by 2030, so that's in the next seven or eight years. And one of the things that General Motors is acknowledging is for these various dealers, it's going to cost them a fortune to you know convert because they're going to have to have the charging stations. They're going to have to completely, in some respects, change their business model to deal with the fact that Buicks are no longer to be going to be produced within the next couple of years with the gasoline-powered engines. So recognizing that there's a lot of Buick franchise dealers who just don't want to go down this route or can't afford to go down this route or aren't on board, uh, General Motors is announcing today that they are going to offer to buy out those dealerships. Um, the, the dealers can continue to sell other General Motors cars that aren't, uh, again, that aren't f- going to be phased out, the gasoline-powered stuff. But Buick dealers, if you want out, you're apparently going to be given an option to be bought out. I don't know how much they're going to pay or things like that. But um, if you've got a local Buick dealership, for example, um, don't be surprised if that dealer stops selling Buicks in the relatively near future. Again, another impact from this, we're going to force people to buy electric vehicles whether they want them or not. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us as we lead into the Labor Day weekend. All right. There is a lesson here. And I guess if I were going to send out the message, it would be to those of you who are thinking of going out and robbing gun dealers or drug dealers, you you may want to rethink it because there, there is a hazard that is involved. Now, I understand, hopefully, that that's not many of you who are out there contemplating criminal activities, but another story from the mean streets of Milwaukee, where the homicide rate just continues to skyrocket. This is as it's reported by, by Fox 6, and it gets it gets a little bit complicated. So you have to, you, you look at the story, and I think I know what happened, but... Um, I guess it's up to some interpretation. Russell McDade, 19, so we're talking about a 19-year-old, faces two counts of felony murder. Felony murder is essentially an aiding and abetting or being a part of a conspiracy. It's one of the deals where, like, if you're if you're involved in a bank robbery and you're the getaway car driver and your three buddies wearing ski masks with shotguns go into the bank and one of your buddies with the shotgun, shoots and kills a teller, for example, even though you weren't in the bank, you are nevertheless liable for the murder because you were you were a conspirator. You were part of that. And if if it is foreseeable, and you could argue then you know, if if you got a guy that walks into a bank with a shotgun and you're the getaway car driver, there's a reason why they have that shotgun and it is completely and totally foreseeable that somebody could get killed. So you as the driver are liable as if you had pulled the trigger. That's the the whole felony murder thing. Russell McDade, nineteen of Milwaukee, faces two counts of felony murder after two men ended up dead on Saturday, August twenty seventh, after prosecutors say McDade and three others planned a gun robbery. Now follow this. According to the criminal complaint, police responded to the area near 40th and Silver Spring. I I, I stopped this because, 
I mean, I grew up in Glendale. I mean, I you can I to think of all the times I've, I've driven past like 40th and, and Silver Spring, 4:30 in the afternoon on Sunday. So this is uh, on Saturday afternoon. So you're you're not talking about 4:30 in the morning. You're talking about 4:30 in the afternoon. Silver Spring Drive, which to con- continues to be one of the major east-west thoroughfares. In, in Milwaukee. I mean, if you're going from Glendale or Shorewood or Whitefish Bay, it would not be uncommon to take Silver Spring, you know, drive to, to go west to do that. So this is 4.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. In some respects, it's very reminiscent of the murder they had outside the McDonald's on Hampton, you know, a couple months ago. All right. So anyhow, they respond 40th and Silver Spring around 4.30, where the police find victim one. A man dead in a Chevy Malibu with gunshot wounds to his chest and face. A witness said a red car had been parked next to the Malibu, and the witness saw someone pick something up off the ground before getting into the red car. Another witness told police the red car was a Nissan Nissan Maxima. A bus driver who witnessed the shooting said they saw two people. That's the other thing. Okay, I'm going to be describing to a gun battle on 40th and Silver Spring at 4.30 on on last Saturday afternoon. And and it's not only in broad daylight, it's in front of all these witnesses. I mean, there's no effort to hide what went on. Bus driver who witnessed the shooting said two people got out of the Nissan and approached the Malibu, one on each side of the vehicle. The man on the driver's side then stepped back and fired repeatedly into the Malibu. So this is one of those kind of like Godfather, you know, one executions where Sonny gets shot at the causeway, somebody just unloading. And so the first victim is the guy who was behind the wheel of the Malibu. So he shot multiple times. About 20 minutes later, around 4.50 p.m., police were called to 63rd and Call, where they found what is described as victim number two, a man lying dead in a living room with a gunshot to his chest. All right, so they, they then start piecing this out. And what it appears happened is that you've got a guy who is with McDade. That's the 19-year-old driver. The victim number two, the guy who turned up dead in the apartment 20 minutes later, and another person on Saturday. So how did this all happen? Apparently, these four guys decided that they were going to go and meet with what's being described as the first victim, the guy who's in the Malibu, to trade for a gun. The witness said, though, they didn't really plan to trade for the gun. They planned to rob victim number one of the gun. And McDade was supposed to be the driver. So here we've got a guy who has a gun. He wants to sell or trade or whatever. Uh, We're not going to trade. We're just going to go and we're going to take it from him. Hmm. What could go wrong with this? The witness said McDade gave a pistol to one of the people in their group who already had a weapon, so that person was then armed with two guns. McDade drove them to 40th and Silver Spring in his mother's Nissan Maxima. At 40th and Silver Spring, while victim one, it's the guy in the Malibu, was showing the gun that he supposedly had for trade or sale to victim number two during the supposed gun trade, which was really a robbery, the witness said victim number two, this would be one of the guys with McBade, grabbed the gun and started wrestling with it. 
So, you know, here you got the guy who's sitting there. He's there to either trade or sell the gun. These other four people roll up. Guy goes up, and they're looking at the gun. Then he starts to grab it. So at this point in time, you have got a struggle. Apparently, the guy in the Malibu then pulls the trigger and shoots, as near as I can figure out, one of the would-be robbers who's struggling over the gun then gets shot. He's the guy that subsequently they find in this apartment like 20 minutes later dead. At that point in time, apparently victim one points a gun at victim two and fires. Um, witness said they heard a bunch of shots after that and saw the man in the group who was armed with two guns shooting into the car that victim one was in. So you've got this. It's this gun deal that goes bad. They try to rip off the guy who's in the car. He does not want to be ripped off. There's a struggle. He fires and I think shoots one of them in the chest. And then they retaliate by, again, going all godfather and just shooting up this car. By the way, did I mention it's 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon and you're on 40th and Silver Spring? After the gunfire, um, let's see, they, after the gun, after the gunfire, victim one, the guy in the Malibu, he's dead. They grab his gun, but they drop it at the scene. Oh, then another witness says that he picked the gun up taking the the weapon, real smart there, and they all leave the scene. And then I think presumably what happens is after that, they, they dump the guy who's now been shot in in a house. They lied to the cops originally telling him he was shot in a gas station thing instead of being shot in this armed robbery. I, I bring this all up because it's just another classic example of, of what is going on in the city of Milwaukee, where it's, I, I described this and have in the past as being like the wild, wild west, but that's not true because that's an insult to the wild, wild west. And whether it, it's Hampton Avenue or Silver Spring at 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon, the, the bottom line is, you know, you just, you cannot go anywhere because, like in this case, all right, you've, you've got this gun deal that, that goes bad, and you have people that suddenly, you know, everybody's getting shot in connection with it. It's sort of like the ending of the movie Reservoir Dogs. But this is happening on, 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 on the street on 40th and Silver Spring in front of all these witnesses. Right now, the most current homicide numbers, 156. This time last year, which was an all-time record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee, 122. So it's it's more than 30% more homicides over the record year and unless something happens dramatically, you know, we're we're going to blow past 200 homicides very very quickly, which, you know, makes you wonder, you know, what what is going on here and is there anything you can do to stop this unacceptable level of violence? And my concern is again, I'm worried about the innocents that get caught up in this. I mean, when I, I hear this story, and, and look, you, you never want to hear anybody lose their life. That, 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 that's horrible. But in a situation like this, okay, you, you had guys that were, this is a gun deal. They're, they're exchanging guns, and four people wanted to rob the other guy, and obviously he didn't want to be robbed. So when you go into something like this, there is that inherent risk that you're going to have when you're the, the bad guys and you're trying to do a gun swap or a gun ripoff or whatever you're trying to do. But, you know, it's, it's not just them. What you got to be worried about is the the bystanders, the people who might be in the area, who when these folks just decide to open up and start shooting indiscriminately at each other, they're the ones that end up getting hit. And that happens, unfortunately, all too often. I don't have a good answer for this other than to say what's going on now, and it's been going on for quite a while, it, it, it is unacceptable. You need to get these people off the streets.
before they decide to actually go kill people. And, you know, my guess is, once again, when you start looking at the backgrounds of the people involved in this, what you're going to find is, well, criminal records. In the case of the guy that's now been charged, he's only 19 years old. Don't know if he had a juvenile record or not. But I, I still can't imagine that one day, last Saturday's the day that you wake up and say, hey, today's the day we're all going to go packing and we're going to get armed to the teeth and we're going to go rip off somebody else for a gun. My guess is there was a background leading up to that, and it was probably a background of other criminal activity. Hey, Green Bay opens their season a week from Sunday at Minnesota, and we've got you covered. Greg Matzik gets you ready for kickoff with Green Bay Game Day at noon on 94.5 ESPN Milwaukee. Then after the game, Gabe Neitzel, Homer, and Mark Tauscher have not one, not two, but three hours of reaction on Pack Attack post game. Right here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. You get the best game day coverage next Sunday and all season long on 94.5 ESPN and News Radio 620 WTMJ. I just got a text that made my day. Here is it. Jeff, I just left a cousin subs in Oconomowoc. I walked past three different vehicles in the parking lot. All three of them were listening to your program. Keep it up. Well, how about that? That's 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 very very nice. Last night we were um, coming out from a restaurant, and there, there's there was they have a, a patio, and if, I I I was just heading for the parking lot to go home. My wife, because she just knows everybody and loves everybody, she goes off the patios because she sees somebody that that she knows. And next thing I know, she's calling me, Jeff, Jeff, come here. So okay, I go back, and it, it was it was two couples that were dining, and they said we j- we really had to talk to you because. We were listening to your conversation about about Tim Michaels yesterday and the just the, the cheap attacks that the local media launched on on him. How dare he, you know, contribute money to his churches and how dare he give money to Wisconsin right to life and stuff? And they said we were just riveted by that. You were just so right on. I said, well, thank you very much for listening. So we really, I always do, really appreciate that. So um, that that's that kind of stuff never gets old. And I've been doing this in this market for a long time, and it never ever gets old. So I. Appreciate Appreciate that. If you see me out and about and you like the program, be sure to come up and say hi. I appreciate that. If you don't like the program, well, you can keep that to yourself. I get that. <laughs> you know, Charlie likes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, and most people are kind of like that. If you don't like the program, well, well, don't, don't, don't you know, you don't listen and stuff like that. I, I, I appreciate where we go with that. You know, this is. It's a real interesting thing that's out there, and I'm not going to take phone calls on it, but I, it, it's something that. They are wrestling with in in Europe right now. Um, of course, ever since the the war in Ukraine started, there has been an effort to try to isolate Russia. You, you know, I, we're gonna we're going to you know shut off trade. We're going to impose economic sanctions. We are going to try to pressure the country to you know, stop doing what the Putin regime is doing, which is, you know, again, killing innocent people in Ukraine in this this thirst and this quest for power. So the question always becomes, what do you do with the individual Russian citizens? So if you are, for example, coming from Russia into the United States now, you need a visa. And it's it's not impossible to get one, but it's it's tougher to get one. In Europe um you haven't necessarily needed visas um it's but you know your passport you have been able to travel and, and in europe um especially this time of year 
uh, you have a lot of Russian tourists. And, and I'm not talking about like the oligarchs with their big book. I'm just talking about, you know, people who, you know, ordinary Russian citizens who might say, hey, it's Oktoberfest in, in Munich and I want to go to Oktoberfest in Munich. And so they, they, they travel. It, it's a, it, it's not somebody that wants to leave for, you know, ever. It's just somebody, hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to vacation or we want to, we want to go to uh, Nice, France, because, you know, August and September is a great time, you know, uh, along along the Mediterranean. So you, you have th- those things. Well, Europe has been wrestling with the concept of what do you do with, with the tourists? And right now, that's that's one of the, the debate that's going on with these European foreign ministers who are in Prague right now. Um, they're all united in banning Russian flights from their airspace. They're all united about the sanctions list. But the question is, what about the average Russian? And if the average Russian wants to come and, and vacation in Germany, you know, during the fall, should they be allowed to do it? Ukraine is obviously is obviously putting a lot of pressure. They're saying, no, the only way we can get the Putin regime to stop is if we impose penalties on average citizens, if we ostracize them in the world so that they have to understand that what their government is doing is so incredibly wrong that, that they bring about a change. Now, whether in a totalitarian regime like you, you have in Russia, whether that's going to work or not, I, I don't know. There are other countries who are out there saying, hey, hey look, um, what we... We, we, why do we punish the individual citizens? Okay, what the Putin regime is doing is horrible. But if you've got, again, some average worker who wants to go to the French Riviera or wants to come to, you know, Munich or wants to come to Berlin or, or wherever, you know, why should we stop them from being able to vacation there? So the, and the argument is that by, by doing that, you might even further harden the attitude of the average Russian against the West because they feel, oh, you know, now they're, they're punishing me for, you know, what my country is doing and I'm going to side with my country. I don't exactly know what the answer to this is because I think in some respects it is important to separate the actions of the regime, the government, from the individual citizens. At the same time, though, I mean, if there's ever going to be pressure for internal change, it's got to come from average citizens who say, hey, I'm sick of not being able to use my ATM card, and I'm sick of my, my assets being frozen, and I'm sick of you know all these restaurants closing down because people are pulling out, and I'm sick of all the shortages, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm upset something has to change because, yeah, I do want to, I do want to visit you know, Berlin, or I, I, I'm used to going to Paris or wherever that might be, and now I can't travel. I guess I come down on the side of, I, I hope they crack down and, and st- shut off tourism, because that's the only, only, only way that you're going to be able, to, I think, to try to impact average citizens and recognize, hey, you know, you've got some problems with your government, and you've got to figure this out, and maybe the more people that stand up to this evil regime, the quicker the regime will end. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Gary use Twitter. 
You're on Twitter. Every single day, Jeff. Do you tweet out on Twitter? I know. Not very, very, very rarely. Okay, so you are one of those kind of like lurkers. You, the, the, the rest of us who tweet, you look at what we tweet and yeah, and use Yeah, I that. judge in silence, but I, I'm too afraid to put my own <laughs> I'm too afraid to put my own content out I judge out there. in silence. I, I like that. Okay, well, well that, that's fair enough. Did you see the story that Twitter, one of the things that has always been annoying to me as somebody who, who does tweet on occasions is that Twitter has has never had an ability to to allow you to edit the mm-hmm. things once you you've posted them. And so I, you know, you always look, I, I you always want to proofread stuff before you do it. But every once in a while, you know, you're trying to get something out or you're multitasking or whatever and you put this up there and then you realize that you have a a typo or something like that. And even though for example, everybody knows what you mean, if you're someone like me and you've got a typo out there, that's going to be the first response. Oh, are you illiterate? Don't you know that there's a typo? And <laughs> no, I, I understand that there, there's a typo. And the only way you are able to correct it is you can you have to delete the tweet. You know, get rid of it, I guess. And, and then you then what I will do is then I'll go and repost it, um, which is it, it's just a pain. Twitter is apparently, and they're doing this in a couple countries and considering broadening it to give you an edit button so you can. After you've posted something, only for the first 30 minutes, but you know, you can, you'll have the ability to go in and edit it. So when I reread it, when I see that it's up there and I say, Oh, I misspelled weird or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you can go back and you can correct it. So I think that would be incredibly helpful. I can tell you as someone who, you know, tweets and, and helps run the social media site for the station, that would be a huge relief because there are times when you're doing something else and you accidentally you write wired instead of weird or the opposite and now you got to delete the whole story and, and start, then repost start it from again. Scratch. Yeah. yeah, I I just and and again the concern that they have is that people will post stuff and then I I guess alter it later on to change the meaning or something but to me that's that's kind of this is this is something that you have to do it in the first 30 minutes and so it's not like oh gee i I posted something that really hasn't aged well and i'm going to go back and edit it in that case you try to go back and you you delete it i would imagine which you could always do i think still but i it would just be nice because again every once in a while i'll have that you'll make that mistake and you go huh then you then I think do I leave it up there? I know that there's a typographical error in there, or I know there's a punctuation mistake, or I know I should have capitalized that. And I almost inevitably say I better clean it up because again, it'll just open up the people who want to criticize you. And are you illiterate? Don't you know that that's a capital whatever? Yeah, I know it is. You know, and if they even put a little marker on there that says this tweet was edited, I'd be I'd be okay with that. I, I think one thing that Facebook's added in recent uh, maybe the last few months is if you go to a fan site whatever it is you can see the history of what the page when it was made and what it used to be i think that was part of their like sussing out suspect news sources and stuff like that uh but i, I do like it because you can look and say like, okay was this page legit from the beginning or did it used to be something and it just changes with the time so i'd be okay even if twitter kept you know maybe not keep the old tweet up there but just let people know like this tweet was edited like, i'd be okay with that yeah well again because uh, most of the times, I would imagine the people who are going to be using that aren't changing, aren't are trying to distort or change mm-hmm. the subject matter, you know, to add a knot or to take out a knot to completely give it an opposite meaning in that first 30 minutes. Cause then you're not going to post it. Um, it's more just like 
people who have those typographical errors that we all those mistakes that we all make. What you, look, you got to get the Aaron Rodgers takeoff real quickly when you're watching a Packers game on Sunday. So <laughs> right. I understand you need to hurry up, and there's no time to proofread those when you're, well, when you're well, calling out well, a play. Exactly. Okay, I'm missing a letter. I know that there was supposed to be that letter that was exactly. in there. Got it. All right, that would be nice. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk about something that many of you are doing: remote work. How is that working out for you? And more importantly, how is it working out for, what's the word they use now, the culture of your office? Stick around. Welcome back. So I mentioned this earlier, actually, I think when I was talking to Steve Scafidi. This is, um, we are, are winding down on our time here at, at Radio City. Uh, it really is going to be the end of the era. Three weeks from today is our last day of broadcasting from our, our facilities here on, on Capitol Drive. It's, um, I think as everybody knows, we're moving downtown into the former Grand Avenue space. They now call it, it the Avenue. Matter of fact, most of our, our teammates, everybody other than what they call the, the content team, which is the on-air people and our producers and the program director and assistant program director, but everybody else, all everybody else in the company is now down in the, the new facility. I've... Uh, I was down there just once. I wasn't able to go to the kind of um, in initiation sort of thing, but I've, so I'm, I'm sure I'll see it over the course of the next couple of weeks. But so three weeks from now, that's when the scheduled move is and the studios are supposed to be ready. And so that's when, you know, we'll be working out of, of the space. Um, but it's been interesting because there's been, over the last couple of years because of COVID, there have been... Many of my coworkers, we call them teammates, who have worked remotely, who I, I, I haven't seen in in a couple of years. I, I mean, I know I know they're there. I, I know you know what they do, but I, I have not physically seen them. Now I've exchanged emails with them, and maybe on occasions I've been on a, a Zoom call, which I try to. I mean, if you listen to this program, you know I, I got into radio to try to avoid meetings, so I, I try to avoid meetings. But I, I mean, I know they're they're around because I get the emails and stuff like that. But I, I just I have not physically seen them, or if I physically seen them, it's been at okay, where everybody's going to come get together. They're having a uh, over at Esterbrook Park at the beer garden or something like that. So I, I just I haven't seen many, many, many of my colleagues. Now, I know our company's plan is to try to get most of the people back into the, the building. I think the, the hope is with, I think, a couple exceptions to, to try to avoid you know, the remote working. I think they want everybody that, that's present, again, with a couple different exceptions based on, you know, certain circumstances. So th- that's the, the idea. It's to try to, to get everybody together. As of, I got this story in the Wall Street Journal today. As of August, early August, so early last month, what they estimated is that there are about 36.5 million people who are still working remotely at least five days a week. So, you know, a lot of companies just allowed the work, the remote work. More companies, especially, are, are using like Labor Day as the, the sort of drop dead date by we, we want you back in, in the office. But yet there, there's still 36.5 million people who are, are working remotely and have been working remotely over the course of the last year or two. One of the arguments that, that management makes about this, and this is, again, it's the subject of the story I'm looking at, is that it's important to the quote-unquote culture 
of the company to get people, you know, back and, and working together. I mean, you know, one one of the arguments is that it, it's possible in a remote setting to build office energy, but but it's much more difficult. It's not as easy to bump into each other in the hallway. Um, and and that's that's it. So the concern that a lot of people have is, what does it do for the culture of the company if you go for months or years w- without seeing you know some some of your colleagues? Does that does that hurt productivity? Is it bad for the company? Or is this just a, a reality? And the story in the Wall Street Journal, you know, makes the argument that a lot of that, that there's a number of startup companies that have have been remote from the beginning, and they argue that that the culture is just absolutely fine and that there's no problem with this at all. I am intrigued on a Friday afternoon. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think, from the perspective of the business, whatever your business might be, it's important? to have people actually physically back in the office on a regular basis, whether it's full-time, you know, five days a week, or whether it's some sort of hybrid thing where, you know, maybe you come in one or two days a week. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're concerned about the culture of the company, can can you still have an effective, positive culture if, People aren't in the office physically. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it will definitely affect the culture of companies as well as just our culture in general over the long term. At heart, I think we are meant to be social creatures, and being away from one another takes away from our social skills, our creativity, and our thinking. I certainly miss fellow employees in the work environment when I am away from them for long periods of time for some reason. 855-616-1620. Now, the flip side of this, another text I have here. Jeff, that's hilarious. Uh, companies are trying to claw back the mind control that they had forever. Many of these offices are toxic due to the culture of the companies, and people rightly want no part of it anymore. Huh. So those are those are the flip sides. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Is it more and more companies are trying to, to the best they can, force? Maybe that's not the right word, but nah, mandate bring people back to the office on a regular basis. Matter of fact, a lot of companies, Labor Day is sort of the, the drop dead date for that. So we've been working remotely. You know, we want you back after that. All right. Is, is that good? Is it important? Can you have a positive culture if you allow remote work? Bill in Oconomowoc. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Hey, great topic. Yes, and I can speak from experience. I worked for a company that was doing that long before it had to be a necessity like it was during COVID, and it worked beautiful. And here's why it worked beautiful. You got more done. You were more productive because you're not driving to the office or driving back or having all that hassle with a car and all that stuff. It eliminated that. And as far as the social aspect, you interacted with the people you work with, and a lot of us use Zoom, which I thought was phenomenal. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to get together or never see this person, but to function uh, adequately and efficiently, I think it's, uh, well, here's why I guess let me focus on one point. Give me a good reason not to. 
Well, I guess the, the, the best argument I think employers would make is we, we think your presence is important. We think, you know, being able to interact on a, on a regular basis with your bosses and your coworkers and just see them on a daily basis and bounce ideas off them, we think that's important. I think that would be the argument they would make. Okay, and uh, I mean, in keeping with that, can you not do that on Zoom? Well, yeah, not. I mean, not as well, but yeah, no. Thanks for calling. I, I get. And look, I want you to understand. I'm not necessarily advocating this. So, you, you can do it, and you can schedule the Zoom meetings. I, I, I was trying to think because what I do now is what I do now is pretty solitary, you know. And and, and I, I would make the argument. I mean, I, I prepare my show pretty much. You know, I, I prepare my show at home. When I come into the office, I, I'm ready to do the program, and I might get a cup of coffee and say hi to some people. I, I uh, but other than like advertisers and things like that, or interacting with the salespeople, hey, you know, we've got this. Are you interested in doing this? I, I don't, I don't have that kind of interaction. But I, I'll, I'll give you another example. In another life, when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was. I, I was a supervisor for, for the last several years or many of the, those years. And one of the things that you would do is you, you would just, I remember you'd, you'd, I'd go into people's offices and, hey, how you doing? How's stuff working out? You would, you would interact with people, not as part of a, of a formal, hey, we're having a get together meeting, just as kind of that sort of water cooler type of stuff where, you know, you would be interacting. Hey, do you got any problems? What's going on? You know, people would say, well, I just, I've got this issue with this case or whatever. And, and yeah, they could reach out and they could formally, you know, you know, schedule a meeting and things like that. But there is a lot of that sort of incidental stuff that, that comes out. So it was a different office and a, a different sort of environment. But I can understand where there is that, that interaction. Here's the problem that employers have, and this is the reality, is I, I think, you know, once you've let the genie out of the bottle, it's it's tough to go back because there's a lot of people exactly to the point of where the bill is saying is they 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 feel – that they can do their job just as well remotely and they don't want to have to, you know, get up and get in the shower and get dressed and then drive 25 miles into work and figure out a way to park and then come in and then do the same thing again at the end of the day and figure out, you know, where they're going to go to lunch or things like that. They want to be able to get up and they want to just be able to go sit down at their computer and they want to be able to do their job. And for ladies that don't, they don't want to put their makeup on or guys that don't want to get in the shower in the morning. Okay. You don't have to do that. And if you want to do your work in your pajamas, well, it's okay. You can do your work in your pajamas. And now that we've let that genie out of the bottle, I think in many cases, it's going to be tough for employers to force people to to come back because, again, for a lot of jobs, especially given right now it's a buyer's market when it comes to, you know, people looking for jobs. And if you're somebody that does a job like computer coding or something like that, that you can you can do remotely. And, you know, your employer says, no, I, I want you to come in and I want you to sit in this room and I want you to be, you know, you're at your cubicle next to, you know, all sorts of other people at their cubicles. I, I think if for people who have options, there's got a lot of people who are going to say, well, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And if you don't want me to be, allow me to work on my terms, I'm going to go, you know, somewhere else. So I think that's going to be the challenge. Do I think you can have a good culture with remote work? Yeah, I, I think you, you can. I think that's, I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on to that. But at the same time, see, I think where a lot of employers are going to ultimately end up is some sort of hybrid form where, 
Um, there is an expectation that you come in, you know, once or twice a, a week, but otherwise you, you can, as long as you're doing your job and as long as you're meeting the criteria and as long as you're meeting your quotas or whatever, you're going to be able to, you know, work at home. Cause I think, again, with, with the rise of technology, you're going to, I think from the perspective of employers, they're going to have to figure out how to accommodate people. And particularly, I think, um, with, with folks who have young children in the workforce, it's going to be more and more pressure. It's like, well, you know, my goodness, I, I want to do this, but, you know, by the time I get the kids up and bundle them and take them to daycare and do all this other stuff and pay for the daycare, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't make that much money. I'm, I'm almost better off just not working. So you, you've got all those things that are going on. I, I predict that we will see more people going back in some sort of hybrid fashion. But the days where everybody got up and, you know, everybody's at work by 8.30 or 9 o'clock and everybody came home at 5 or 5.30, I just, I think they're gone. And I think while employers might want to bring them back, I just don't think it's practical. We've got some fun stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Do not, do not, do not go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Labor Day weekend is sort of upon us, and I know lots of people who are listening to me right now are out and about. Maybe you've snuck out from work a little bit early as you want to extend the Labor Day holiday. It is the sort of unofficial end of summer around here, and man, I, I know... It's kind of self-evident, but summers around here just fly by. And this year, because the spring was just so my, my, my wife was saying the other day, boy, it seems like summer has flown by. And that's because summer really took a long time to get here. I mean, April, April and May and even part of June was not necessarily that pleasant. But um, there's still time. Fall in Wisconsin can be wonderful as well. All right. I, what, what got me started on this is, is I was looking through different material to talk about today. I, I ran across a story about some Swedish car manufacturer that makes multi-million dollar cars and, and how they, they've developed this technology, which allows them to produce vehicles that can either be driven manually or as an automatic. And and it, it, look, none of us are or at least if if you're in a position to buy a multi-million dollar Swedish, you know, supercar, that's great. But that's not the situation most of us are in. But I got to thinking about the whole idea of manual transmission automobiles because there was a time where when you were if if you were growing up, there were they had the automatic transmissions, but I, I would say maybe as as many people drove you know, the, the manual transmissions, you know, the ones where you push in the clutch, clutch and you've got the, the shift that's either on the floor or it's either on the steering column and stuff. I mean, I, I think there was a time when it was kind of about, you know, 50-50. Nowadays, not so much. I was pulled up a list. There are, by my count, at least the most recent story I saw, there are, I think, about 23 cars that you can purchase new cars and SUVs that you can purchase new if you want to have a manual transmission you know in them but it, it's it's very very 
it, it's very, very limited. Um, and in some cases, if you decide that you want to get the, the manual transmission vehicle, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, get some of the other bells and whistles that would typically come if you got the automatic transmission. Now, I have never owned myself a, a manual transmission car. However, my roommates in college both had both had stick shifts, and so I, I I learned how to drive their their cars. And so you know, I I just I remember one was a Ford Pinto, um, and one of the weirdest cars ever designed, but they were very popular at the time. And and so I mean, I, I learned how to drive it in college because otherwise, you know, if, if it just sometimes I, I needed to use their cars. But I don't think I have driven a manual transmission car. Really, probably since I got out in college, of college, which was a number of years ago, and I, I think I know how to do it. It would take a bit of practice before I would be able to get another car. And I have to tell you, I it would not occur to me to buy a new vehicle where you know I, I had to do the stick shift and stuff. But I know that there is still an appeal that's out there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now, one of the arguments used to be is that you get a lot better gas mileage if it's a stick shift as opposed to an automatic transmission. That's with the improvements that they've made in, in car efficiency and the computerization and stuff. That Most people say that that's not really true. It's kind of six one half dozen the other. So it's more a matter of individual preference if people like the manual transmission cars. I thought we'd have some fun on a Friday afternoon before Labor Day. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you one of those people that love the stick shifts, the manual transmission cars? Do you still drive one? Do you wish that there were more choice in it? And if so, what is the appeal? Because... I mean, again, the, the the beauty of the automatic transmission car is you you get in, you turn the key, or you push the button, and then you know you just go. But I know that there is this fun of driving that is out there from those of you who grew up doing it and continue to do it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation. Jeff, I have a Subaru Outback stick shift. I'm a female retired engineer. Love them. Plus, they're cheaper to repair. Patrice in South Milwaukee. Patrice, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. So I learned to drive on a Chevy, uh, a Nova, 1970 Nova stick shift. I haven't turned back. We used to go for a Sunoco 360 to get high-powered jet fuel to drive it. <laughs> anyway... Well, my husband and I love stick shifts, so we're disappointed that they're hard to come by nowadays. Now, do you, do the car you have now is it a is it a stick or is it an automatic? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ford Fiesta stick shift. My prior one was an Escort stick shift. Absolutely. That's it. So you're going to be a stick shift gal at least as long as you possibly can, huh? You better believe it, because I don't like to drive as a rule. That makes it a little bit of fun. Okay, fun, good. Th- thanks for calling. I appreciate. It. And again, it's it's and I. I I also know that there is an entire generation of people who are listening to us right now thinking, what is this 
stick shift thing that this guy on the radio was talking about. But it, 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 it I mean, there was a time where it was really, I, I would say 50-50. And I mean, I, I always, my parents always had, uh, when I, when I was learning to drive and stuff, they were automatic transmissions. But, but nevertheless, there were so many cars that were out there that had, you know, stick shifts that you, you again, you, you had to learn how to drive. Like I say, I, I, I learned kind of by grinding the gears on my two roommates in college on, on their vehicles. 855-616-1620. Kent in Pewaukee. Kent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good Hi, afternoon. Happy Labor Day. Same to you, sir. So, I'm a commercial truck driver and uh, <clears throat> 40, 45 years driving truck. Um, the majority of that was done with a stick shift. Nowadays, a stick shift in a commercial vehicle, Class A vehicle, is about anywhere from an eight to a ten thousand dollar option. Most of these trucks are coming out with auto shifters yep. or, auto, or a fully automatic transmission. Now, the truck I'm driving now has an has an auto shifter. It's a twelve-speed manual transmission, but a computer shifts it for you. There's no clutch pedal or nothing. You just a brake right. pedal, gas pedal, and away you go. Um, but my wife. She loves stick shifts, and in the 22 years, 23 years, I hope she's not listening, 23 <laughs> years of marriage, this is her first car she's ever had that was an automatic, and they won't, she couldn't get, a, couldn't get a manual transmission on it. So, right. And that was a Hyundai Sonata, so, and she fought for it, but couldn't get it. So, Yeah, you're right there. Uh, you know, I remember back in the... But back in the day, you know, manual transmissions in most cars were standard, and an automatic was, you know, the option. Right, and, and you had to pay extra for it. No, thanks for the call. Uh, you're right. Uh, let's see. Hyundai, they, they, the only, the 2022 models, the Elantra, um, that they'll, they'll make in that, but not the other one. Yeah, I mean, there really is, by my count, I think, what did I say, 23 different car models that that offer them but um again your your limited limited choices when it comes to that oh we're being swamped with texts here um jeff um let's see um uh, the um I, I i've got a four speed i love to drive them let's see i bought a mustang in 1978 for 650 bucks and they're taking a picture of it um let's see uh, the yellow one i'm just sending a picture of is one i bought my wife 16 years ago for our anniversary it's her first four speed she absolutely loves it um <laughs> heather in west bend says grind them until you find them well that was kind of how it is when i was learning how to drive this jeff i learned to drive on a stick shift i currently have a manual transmission car and an automatic transmission SUV. I love the manual transmission car, especially when driving in the snow, as it just handles the snow much better. Plus, manuals are way more fun to drive. I'm in my early 40s, and many of my friends feel exactly the same way. Jeff, when I got married, my wife had never driven a stick shift before I taught her in a couple of days, and then I left for deployment. First of all, let me just say this. Brave man, Brave man teaching his wife how to drive a, a stick shift. I'm just, I'm just saying that right there. She loved it so much that her first new car she ever bought was a 1991 Geo Prism, and she got it by choice with a manual transmission. Jeff, the best thing about a stick shift, it is less likely to be stolen. Well, there is, there is kind of that element too. Here, I'm thinking about ripping off this particular car. Oh, how do, you, how do you drive this thing? Remember, I mean, um, the, the thing with former Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley, remember now his I don't think was a stick shift, but it was some it was some high end. He, he gets essentially carjacked, but he's driving this high end BMW where you you have to 
you have to do all these different things to get the car to move. <laughs> and, and you know, the would-be carjacker, who I don't think they've ever caught, the uh, would-be carjacker couldn't figure this out, how to do it. Jeff, I grew up on <clears throat> stick shift. I was actually driving since I was 15. My mom taught me how to drive the stick shift. I enjoy it way more than automatic. I would prefer a manual shift car. I do like uh, some of the car models. They offer transmission modes where you can go to the manual mode, but it's not the same as manual shifting all the time. Jeff, I don't have a vehicle with manual now. No, because they're, they're hard to find, but I love it when I did much better in the snow. In a way, I wish all cars were manual now because maybe people would be more attentive. Drivers would make texting and driving near impossible. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, try shifting and texting at the same time. Jeff, I think it's safer with the phone. Yeah, I think that there's, that with the phone. Jeff, I can drive manual transmissions. I'm also in the used car business for almost 40 years. I had a friend that was with me for 20 years and sold cars for me, used to leave my store and go back <clears throat> less than half an hour to teach somebody to drive a manual transmission. It's a selling point. He said they usually won't get stolen. Your friends can't drive them. I couldn't believe that he would do that, but it actually ended up working. Jeff, my brother served three years in Germany in the Air Force. When he completed his service, he had his VW Beetle shipped home. He tried to teach me how to drive it, but he was laughing so hard at my lack of skill. He took over and returned home. Never drove a manual since then. Uh, that's it. Jeff, I still drive a stick shift. I'm in my mid-30s. I actually have three cars that are manual. My um, pickup, my 2011 Ranger, and my 1999 Honda Civic. Jeff, my summer fun car is a Mini Cooper convertible. It's a stick shift, and I absolutely love it. It makes driving fun. If they made more cars in stick again, I think there would be less less texting and driving. And then, of course, there is the uh, common say the statement that they real women use three pedals. Right? <laughs> that's 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 what I've heard. Aaron, Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, interesting conversation you're having here because uh, my wife and I we have four cars, three of which are stick, and we actually taught our 16 uh, year old to drive um, a stick car. And when she went to do her behind the wheel with her driving instructor, she had a little bit of uh, trouble learning, and it was suggested to us that we rent a man or a uh, automatic transmission car to ease the burden of learning behind the wheel. Huh? Huh? huh. I I got to think uh, that she, one she through. She made it through. Yeah, I got. Okay, so wh- why 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 so many cars with manual transmissions? So um, we. We tend to buy cars and hang on to them until they um, cost yeah. more than they're worth in repairs. Right. So we have a 2009 Jetta, which now our 16-year-old drives. I bought a new car last year, um, a 2020 Civic, and then we have our summer fun car, which is a 1974 Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, okay, yeah. So the, the Beetles are fun. Um, but so would do you prefer, then, the manual transmission cars? You know, all in, all done, everything equal? I, um, I'm in my 40s now. I'm starting to wane away from the manual transmission. They're fun, but they can also be a bit more of a pain. Yeah. Um, there's a yeah. little bit more maintenance that goes with them. And then when you get stuck in city traffic, it's yeah. not always the most enjoyable. But 
when you're in the uh, North Woods or up in Door County, they're a blast to drive. Outstanding. Well, thanks. Well, it, it's getting it's getting harder to find them, Jeff. I bought a 2019 Jetta stick shift, and I love it. It makes driving more fun, and as you've been saying, I don't worry about theft nearly as much. Um, Jeff, when I bought my first new car, a Datsun 200ZX, I remember that, in 1981, at 28 years old, I didn't know how to drive it. I just loved the car. My brother and dad test drove it for me. I absolutely love and still prefer the stick shifts. I drove a stick shift as my daily driver. Definitely was not difficult. Definitely was difficult to drive and text. Yeah, I, I guess it's interesting to me because, again, I appreciate in having this conversation that some of you are listening are saying, I don't understand this. You mean you have to you know, put your left foot on the clutch and you have to do this and you have to shift and you have to do all those things? Yeah, and it is, it is a bit of a... It is a bit of a pain, but there is kind of a satisfaction from it. Like I said, I never owned one of the cars, so I never really got into that other than I, I think, you know, they, they tell me it's like riding a bicycle and a number of people are saying I, I could do it pretty quickly if somebody would be willing to lend me their car and let me grind the gears for a little bit. And, and maybe so, but I, it, it's with all the modern bells and whistles, it's tough, right, on personal perspective, would I ever buy one of those cars? No, but I understand the appeal they are going away, but they're still around. So I guess that's the good news. Stock market looks poised for <clears throat> yet another bad week. Last week, the uh, Friday, it was a thousand point drop in the Dow, and things haven't been much better this week. Not one drastic drop, but pretty steady drops as people recognize that right now the government has no plan to really combat inflation. Dow down almost 300 points, NASDAQ down almost 150. Good news is uh, the markets are closed on Monday, Labor Day, so can't have any more of a drop until at least on Tuesday. Hopefully, we'll figure out a way around this financial mess that we have been in. Can you drive a stick shift? Can I? Yes. Do I? know? <laughs> no, no. No, well, yes, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, same thing. I mean, I... I I mean, I learned two years ago. I think I, I can, but I, I, I don't. Yeah. I grew up in a family when I was younger. Both my parents actually had uh, oh. stick shifts, and it was always something I just wanted to learn how to do. And oh. Well, I, there, there's a lot of that out there. My text line, our text line is exploding with photos of people who drive. And they, they not only they drive stick shift, but they have their, their cars, and they're, they're sharing the pictures of them and their cars or their cars and stuff that are all stick shifts. So there's clearly a market out there for it. It's impossible to find one. I mean, if you can find one, right? Good 20, luck. Twenty-three. Still, there's twenty-three models that they make. That okay. was the. But but it but it is limited, right? I mean, there's your many of the car companies offer it, but it might be only in one model, and you can't get it with a lot of the bells and whistles and stuff. But they're they're still around. But you got to work at it. I like every once in a while I'll hop in. My dad still has a, a a manual, and every once in a while I'll hop in and drive it around, just like to remember how to do it more uh-huh. so than anything else. But it is. It is a cool feeling. I'll tell you that. I told my wife it's a really cool feeling to just like get out on the open road and definitely not speed, but you know, you know, you, <laughs> you know. Go. No, I, I, I got it. I understand. Okay, it is that time. Pop culture corner right around the corner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. 
Let's get right to it. It's Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And courtesy of our friends at Palermo's, we have a Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that three times fast, that we will give away to one caller. It's uh, it's a coupon good for two Palermo's pizzas, and it's this really cool Palermo's pizza cutter and a couple other things as well. So it is completely in the discretion of my producer, Charlie, as to which caller ends up getting that. So don't blame me or don't applaud me if you win. Charlie's the one that gets to make that call. So what are we talking about today? Sometimes in Pop Culture Corner, if you're new to the show, we talk about books and sometimes movies and sometimes TV and sometimes restaurants, sometimes travel. It just kind of depends on something that's happened or I thought of during the week that kind of tickles my fancy and I hope will tickle yours. All right. Today we talk about It is a topic that we do twice a year, once at the beginning of the summer and once at the end of the summer. We can kill the Willie and the Poor Boys music there, Charlie. Once at the beginning of the summer and once at the end of the summer. Like I say, we are moving into Labor Day weekend, right? And Labor Day weekend is, unfortunately, for those of us who love summer, it is the end of the summer. So... Just as we did at the start of the summer to get you ready, in an effort to say goodbye to the summer, our topic today comes from the world of music, and the question is, what song, in your mind, is the soundtrack of the summer? So this weekend, if you want to say goodbye to what I hope has been a wonderful summer for you, what is that tune that you are are going to, you know, put on and and why? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Matter of fact, to get me to get me in the mood for this topic today, you know, last night we we went out to dinner and stuff and I I came back and I I actually fired up my, you know, fired up my, my music account and went on my iTunes account. And I ended up, um, I, I listened, I, I listened to the Beach Boys for about an hour last night because pretty much any Beach Boys tune, you can make an argument is, is kind of the soundtrack of the, the summer. You know, for me, well, there's a lot of great ones. I, I still, I, I love California girls, but that's, you know, you, you can make any arguments, but it kind of got me in the mood because pretty much every Beach Boy tune is kind of like, oh, you know, that would be a great soundtrack of the summer song. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. You get one song. It is the song that in your mind represents the, the summer that unfortunately now is kind of fading into our memories or will be fading sometime soon. 855-616-1620. We're back with your calls and texts in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And, of course, Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're talking about the song that is your soundtrack for the summer that is just getting ready to pass. I mean, the the song that just means summer to you, um, 855-616-1620. Let's see, Jeff, one of my favorite songs for summer is Grace is the Word by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. That is from Brent in uh, Burlington. Jeff, for me, it's summer in the city. Um, makes me think of summer all the time. Jeff, uh, Boys of Summer. 
Um, baseball, um, for me, it's John Fogarty's center field. Center field would definitely be one of those. 855-616-1620. Just uh, Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. Um, it reminds me of my early 20s. Yeah, it kind of takes you back. See, that's the thing about great summer songs. It, it takes you back. Jeff, Summertime, Summertime by the Jamies made the music uh, charts twice. Jeff, for me, got to be Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. We're going to be sitting at the end of our dock in Green Bay as a family this weekend watching the sunset before everyone parts plays the song. It just feels like a finale while we reflect on how great our summer was together. Isn't that the truth? I mean, see, that's that's also the tremendous thing about music and how music ends up bringing people together. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, to me, got to be boys of summer. Jeff, uh, Sealed with a Kiss by Bobby Vinton. Jeff, uh, to me, let's see, um, Summer Song by Chad and Jeremy. We're going back a little bit on that. 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, it's Jimmy Buffett's great yet fairly unknown song, unless you're a parrothead like me, about the end of the summer season called when the coast is clear. For me, Jeff, it's Summertime by Seals and Croft, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tina. Tina, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. What's uh, the song that just screams summer to you? Boys of Summer. The Boys of Summer. Tell me why. It's just a classic all-around summer song, and it's great to listen to and just chill. Yeah, it did just chill. You're exactly right. Well, obviously, my producer, Charlie, agrees with you because you're the winner of our Palermo's prize package today, okay? Awesome. Now, there you go. That is my gift to you um, for the end of the summer. So thanks for listening and thanks for participating. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll have more stuff to give away next week as well as our Palermo's pizza sponsorship continues. 855-616-1620. Summer Breeze by Seals and Croft. Um, gotta love that. Many, many people are saying, you know, this next song, including a couple folks who are saying they're taking their Harleys out for the weekend for rides and they're going to be listening to Kid Rock and All Summer Long, which is, that's just a great, great song. Jeff, I love the topic. The best summer song is Here Comes Summer by Jerry Keller. I was just turning 13. It was great freedom. Jeff, for me, it's the California Sun, which is an oldie by the Riveras. Jeff, to me, Steely Dan, do it again. Jeff, anything by Santana reminds me of the Jazz Oasis at Summerfest. Yeah, at Summerfest, back in the day, what they used to do is they used to have a um, they, they used to have a situation where you know all the stages were were different. And what they did is they, like, they had the Miller Jazz Oasis, and they had jazz music, and they had one that was a country music thing. They sort of abandoned that format, but very, very cool. Let's talk to Audrey in Green Bay. Audrey, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, summer Night from Greece. Oh. John and so. Yeah, how and, and how appropriate, given the, the passing of Olivia Newton-John last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, she was just tremendous yeah. in yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's no thanks that's for calling. Yeah. 
Yeah, she was absolutely tremendous. No, thanks for the call. And that's, you know, you know, Greece. If we were talking summer movies, Greece is just one of the classic summer movies of of all time as well. And Olivia John was just great with that. Jeff, for me, and this would be a great one too. In the summertime by Mungo Jerry. Yeah, a couple, and somebody's saying, well, I, I like Summertime as well, but the version by DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith. Um, you've got that Saturday in the Park by Chicago, When the Sun Goes Down by Kenny Chesney and Uncle Cracker. That's a very good song as well. There's no question about it. Let's kind of go down here. In the Summertime, a lot of people are doing that. Um, Boys of Summer. Um, you can almost smell the coconut lotion. Yeah, you've got, uh, well, you know, that, that's, that's Don Henley. Can't go wrong with that. Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra. Gosh, I was somewhere and they were playing that not that long ago, but that's an outstanding one as well. Jeff, to me, if you really want to go back, how about Lazy Crazy Days of Summer by Nat King Cole? Well, you got that one as well. Um, <laughs> Jeff, we are on Okachi Lake right now listening to the show so they're getting a head start on their summer on their labor day weekend my husband says the choice is easy it's summer in the city i'm missing the chance to call in for pizza a little harder to call when you're on the boat well i appreciate that and summer in the city would definitely be a good one um for that jeff uh, kenny chesney boys of fall Get you ready for football? Well, I'm not ready for football quite yet. Jeff, we're going to be riding our Harley this weekend, and I will be sure to hear All Summer Long by Kid Rock. Right, You've got that that's there as well. Interesting, nobody mentioning the Beach Boys tunes right now, but you can't go wrong with that. Summertime by Seals and Croft. Of course, you've got that. Ah, here's one. And I guess I've never necessarily, well, I understand why people are saying it's a song of the summer. Maggie May by Rod Stewart. Now, I think you can make an argument that Maggie May by Rod Stewart was one of the greatest rock songs ever, ever done. For the longest time, um, it was it was the ringtone on my phone. And then I kind of got bored with it and I changed. Now the ringtone is um, L.A. Freeway by Jerry Jeff Walker. But, but Maggie May, and I, I saw I had the, the, the fun of going to Summerfest and seeing Rod Stewart and, and, and Rod Stewart's like 77 or 78 years old. And so he's, I mean, I give him credit that he's still out there performing and stuff, but it was interesting. He did. It's worth going to a Rod Stewart concert just to see him do Maggie May. I I've always felt like that. And he did Maggie May. And apparently at least he's telling people that this will be the last time he's doing it in, in concert because I think he, he once his current tour ends, I think he's he's not saying he's not going to do tours anymore, but he's saying that he's going to like stop doing certain songs because I think he realizes that um, I don't know maybe he can't do the justice justice he can to you know some of some of those songs um, that he used to be able to do. But if so, eh, see it doesn't matter. I mean you know even Rod Stewart even Rod Stewart struggling a little bit, it's still worth seeing him. Um, to Maggie May. Here's an interesting text, Jeff. It's not a song necessarily, but I really miss Bob Euchre's voice on the. I I want to hear Bob Euchre's voice on the radio. Yeah, Bob Euchre, definitely the soundtrack of the summer as well. Um, let's see, number of people with a lot. Here comes the summer, California sun. Born to be wild by Steppenwolf. 
Texter says, it just makes me think of a summer road trip with the top down on the Jeep. That is from Aaron in Chicago. I get it. Riding the storm out by REO Speedwagon. Get that one, too. This guy's in love with you, Herb Albert. I was dating a great woman in the summer of 1969. Okay. All right. See, a couple of the other texts that people were mentioning is, and that is the thing about music. It takes you back to certain points in your life. There's the song Brandy by by Looking Glass. Melissa Barclay's here, just kind of nodding here. You're yeah, Brandy, no, you're a fine I, girl. I'm a, I love all that music. Right. And, so good. And, and see, that was, there uh, There was a summer when, gosh, it, it might have been the summer before I went to high school, or, or I was getting ready to go to high school. That was the big song. It was Brandy. And it and it, it just, whenever I hear that song, yeah, takes it takes me back to that summer. The, the other song that a couple of people are mentioning is, is Bob Seger's Night Moves, oh, which yeah. I, again, mm-hmm. think is, is one of the great rock songs of all time. I put it in my top ten, but partly because... Because it it just again it, it encapsulates summer and you hear that song and it takes you back to a certain time in your your life that you I don't know if you say you wish you could go back to but you you appreciate now that it was a long time ago. So I've been listening to and I love soft rock and I love yacht rock, yacht yeah, rock yeah. and soft rock. So I have a iTunes album that's called '80s Soft Rock and I heard a song on there and I was like, gosh, I haven't heard that song in decades and it reminded me of being at the swimming pool as a as a middle schooler, right, or as right. an elementary school. It's like, oh, I used to hear that all the time at the pool, but and, it literally and the takes song you is? right. Oh, it, <laughs> I don't remember? I even, no, I do. I I remember, but I don't think anyone's going to know it. It was Hands to Heaven by Breathe. It was an 80s soft rock tune. Yeah, okay. if you know that song. You know. Got me. But yeah. Mary Lynn. Mary Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hot fun in the summertime. Yeah. I fly in the family stone, 1969. Yeah. We sophomores at Whitewater. Yeah, see, it, it all comes back. No, thanks. For, that would be another great one. Against the Wind by Bob Seger. Summer of 69 by Brian Adams, um, oh, the list goes on and on. Hot fun in the summertime. Number of people are saying that by Sly and the Family Stone. Yep. Look here. Here's the here is here's the bottom line of all this. Okay, we summer's not over yet. All right, it, it's not. We've got a great weekend coming up, and I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to do yourself a favor. Sometime during the picnics and all the other stuff that's going on, take a couple minutes, think about what your song of the summer is, and then fire up the CD player, fire up the iTunes, fire up however it is, the Apple Live player, however it is that you're listening to music, and, and just treat yourself and take yourself back to that point in time and listen to your song of the summer. That's it for Pop Culture Corner this week, presented by Palermo's Pizza. Thanks for participating. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.